So the part-time productivity? Yeah. Yeah, and for the podcast, I'll just sort of say it again. Um, so for the, the question uh, for Cisco is, Productivity is measured in the full-time perspective. You can think about regaining the commute and, and that kind of thing. How do you think about productivity on a part-time perspective and in, in, in a flexible mindset? Well, I think that the challenge for those of us who are in high-tech or in any of those types of organizations is that we expect people to work more than 40 hours when they're full-time employees. So I... I actually think there's a good argument for um, using the same amount of salary dollars and splitting it into two. So now this may be a convoluted rationale on my part, but if you think about one employee 40 hours a week, but they're really working the average person's maybe about 55 or 56 hours a week. Let's, let's just make it 60 to round up because we know that can happen um, and make it really a challenge for someone to work 60 hours week in and week out. If you divide that job into two, and that's 20 hours and 20 hours, and each one of those people puts in an extra 10 hours, let's just say a little bit here and there. So the, the, the few days that they work, they work a little bit longer. You've got 80 hours, but you don't have burnout. Now, I'm not sure that's that's the argument we want to propose for people for offering part-time work, but we know that the reality of our industry is that people do work extra amount of time. They used to joke um, and say that the reason we gave out popcorn and drinks is to keep people all night, you know. And some people actually do, uh, you know, take a little nap in their cube once in a while because they're there too many hours. But I think that, particularly in our industry, we need to give people something to balance the challenge of the workload. And so we know that we're not going to lighten the workload just flat out. We're, gonna, we're always trying to do more with less. So how do you balance that? Um, you need to balance that by giving people the opportunity to go pick up their dry cleaning in the middle of the day because they're working from home or work a little bit in the morning, take time off during the day and work a little bit at night when they're, when they put the kids to bed or take off for two years for child uh, raising and come back without having to reapply. I think if we don't offer those kinds of things to people, we can't maintain them. And we don't have high attrition rates at Cisco, so I never use that as an argument. But I think that we will if we don't put things in place to help balance that. So I'm not sure if that was a, a great answer to your question, but that's kind of the way I look at it. Two 20s work 10 extra hours, you still have 80 hours. And no one's work, I, I mean, uh, 60. 40, 60 hours. Mm-hmm. And no one is working more, you know, I mean, if you work 60 hours a week, week in and week out, you're going to have to quit. Or if you're lucky enough to get the three months off, you're going to have to do something like that. Yeah, productivity. Ellen, did you have a comment? Yeah, I do. I think that we, that our, just the way our image of a career is, uh, of a ladder, our image of work is running a marathon without ever stopping. But if you think about professional athletes, the way that they train is to have time for rest and recovery in between the times that they're, um, that they're really going for their peak performance. And we need to reinvent the notion of how we work that everybody needs um, time. If you look, read the book, The Corporate Athlete, for example, it talks about working in 90-minute spurts as being optimal and then a little time for rest and recovery and then working again. The, the point that I wanted to make, though, was a slightly different 
point, which is you may that we need to reinvent the notion away from just looking at people the the the, the jacket on the back of the chair as a measure of productivity to results and the companies that have been the most successful, whatever is going on next door. <laughs> they're working too hard. They're burning out. Something. <laughs> Something is going on next Must door. be sales anyway. team meeting. Anyway. <laughs> sales people are crazy. That, I, that the companies that have been successful, and I think we can't, we have to think of results versus just simply time. You can be there. You can put in a lot of time and not really accomplish very much. So the companies that have moved toward more flexibility are putting metrics on it. Also, the companies that have moved toward more flexibility are not assuming that all of that time you spent is good a good use of your time. And IBM has created um, an initiative that I particularly like. It's called POWR, which, is, um, which looks at the notion of uh, bringing a team together and asking through a series of guided questions similar to the kind of guided questions you have in mass career customization, what are you doing that's a waste of time? What are you doing that makes you go home and say, oh, my God, you won't believe what happened to me today? And, 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 and going around the group and seeing if those things really are a waste of time and whether they can be improved. Can you uh, take the time that you have and use it more efficiently and more effectively? So... Um, Moving uh, away from the definition of time, uh, work as a marathon, um, looking at results versus simply time spent, and looking at how that time is spent and trying to create more effective and efficient uh, uses of the time. In With IBM and Texas Instruments has done something similar. They, they create metrics to look at how they're going to know whether this new plan of using their time more effectively through through power is is um, yielding results. So I think tying metrics into any any experimental change you make, Sharon's notion of piloting, your notion of piloting, all of yours notion of moving from from informal flexibility to more policies, all of these came out of pilots. You don't just launch into something full scale. You try it out, you get the kinks out of the system, and then you develop it further. So since we oh, you want your data? I was just going to say, building on what Ellen has said, you know, underneath it all, when I get asked that question in all kinds of forms and flavors, there is an implicit notion that there's an alternative, right, that we don't have to offer part-time or find a way to make it work, for example, in this case. And so one of the successes that we've had in engaging our leadership is to use a lot of the trend data that Ellen opened with to paint the picture of the world in which it is not an option to not be able to offer options. And once that's understood, the nature of the debate changes from should we offer options to which options should we offer and how can we do it effectively. And those are two very different questions to be posing. Um, and so our business case starts with looking at things like the talent shortage in the U.S., the six million person gap by 2012, like the importance of women in the workforce, 60% of undergraduate and graduate degrees go to women, and yet there's quite a bit of quantified research on how their careers are not linear, like the kinds of things Ellen talked about, about how the changes in family structure have not impacted just women but men. And men have many 
needs and changing preferences around how career and life come together. For many organizations, including our own, who have a lot of boomers, who have a lot of important knowledge and skill and will be retiring in waves, 70% of folks who are retired say they would have extended their working career if they had had more flexibility options. Um, if you look at Gen X, Gen Y, boomers, and even veterans, so across all of the research on generations, flexibility is an issue for each of those generations. And so for us, building the breadth of business case, that it's not a single workforce trend. It's not a single group of employees across gender, across generation. There's this set of forces that are coming together that you cannot ignore. And, and most leaders, when presented with that case in a compelling way that's customized to your organization, so what are those trends doing? Look at your retention rates, your employee surveys, your exit interviews, and so forth, which all of you are quite familiar with, will then agree that in the face of that picture, um, continuing to not offer options is, is, is not viable. And so then when you shift the debate into, okay, so what should we do? Now you're on a different now, of course, we do put a lot of metrics in. I would encourage anyone to do that. Um, some of the key ones have been talked about on the cost side. Retention's always at the top of the list. Don't forget to look at the revenue side. Particularly, you know, most of us as managers and leaders grew up in the world where there were more people than jobs. And so we wrote our business plans and our strategic plans assuming that we could get as many people as we had positions, right? That assumption's now out the door. So even at the very strategic level, looking and forecasting out, look, look a decade in the future. Um, what is your ability to acquire talent likely to do to your growth stream? That's another very productive place to explore. Um, and then you can get down into the more specific metrics around your programs. But I really encourage you. I mean, I, I think internally there's not a presentation I start. And I tell all our other change agents, you know, just never start without going through the business case, without letting people understand the changed nature of the world in which we are now operating, because that really creates a whole different engagement point. The other suggestion that I would make is when you look at turnover data, look at turnover data of your A players and then your B, and then your C. And what you will likely find is that your A players have a lot of choice in how they work and where they work, and your C players may stay. <laughs> so when you look at, at turnover, you know, you also want to look at performance management. We've got a lot of good questions. Um, I, I just, just want to add something? Yeah, go ahead. Um, one, we've been putting together business case around this, and I think there's incredible data that supports it. But I think we're starting to shift and look at this in a new way to say this is a manager's, this is part of the manager's toolkit. Yep. This is an advantage for managers who are, who have to get the work done. And it's, and I think if we approach it as, um, we've got to convince managers because they're used to managing by FaceTime mm -hmm. or time in itself, I think we're not even going the full the full um, distance. So I, I really see this as positioned as this is a, a phenomenal tool for managers to have because it, it's just as um, important to their being able to manage their business as getting resources. Fantastic. And any strategies that you guys use to overcome these obstacles that, that they're feeling around culture, around you know, how managers have adopted or, or embraced this? Anything you guys have seen in the learnings? 
people who. I do, but I want to get to make sure because I know this is a, this is actually was asked before the event. A couple things that we've been doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Young, specifically here in the PAC Northwest, there's really four things that we're trying to do to help our our managers. And our belief is that all of this starts with a really good, honest communication process. To get the flexibility you need, you have to be able to ask for it. And to get that flexibility you need, you need to be able to define it. So what we've been doing is on a couple levels uh, seeding our organization with what we call the Flexibility Champions Network. And these are people that are change agents, as we've talked about, that understand the business case, that can articulate the business case, that have uh, been through a... uh, a training session called Fierce Conversations, which is based on Susan Scott's book. Uh, if you haven't picked up Fierce, Fierce is a great tool for enabling our people to have those conversations, a difficult conversation for many to ask for what they want. Uh, so our, our Champions Network is equipped to be able to start those conversations, assist their colleagues, their subordinates, uh, their superiors with, with having these conversations in their setting and their teams. Uh, Similarly, from a team perspective, there was some discussion earlier about uh, team dynamics. And what we also have is a a concept called team acceleration, where our teams are in workshops to understand how they work, uh, what they do to accomplish work, what they do to be barriers to their own success. And this team acceleration concept has been terrific. It's really helped a lot of these teams unlock their full potential and as a revenue benefit, we get better client satisfaction results from these teams. Uh, so, so those two pieces, and then uh, some of my colleagues are here in the room also around the flexible work arrangement uh, process as well. That's, that's a challenge in a professional services organization where there's a lot of pressure to be in front of your teams or in front of your clients and on the partner track. Uh, we have a number of our partners who... Uh, have made the flexible work arrangement where you're uh, reducing the number of hours you're working, as we talked about, but uh, supporting those that maybe haven't been as successful in the past, uh, helping and coaching them to to have the conversations and to set the boundaries that are necessary for success. So this toolkit that you talked about, these are some of the things that we're doing to to throw into our manager's toolkit. Fantastic. I know there's burning questions. Let's start in the back. 